Last Lord's Day morning, you remember, I spoke to you on the essence of sin. And I showed you and told you that the essence of sin is my right to my life to do as I please with it. When I please, when I please, where I please, how I please. And God, you stay out of it. And of course, the essence of sin, as we've stated, it is nothing but a state of rebellion against God. And that's what sin is in its essence is rebellion against God. And we just praise God that He's given us the opportunity to come before Him this morning. And all week long, throughout the week, there has been just the opposite, that we should bring you a message upon the essence of godliness. Last week, the essence of sin. This morning, the essence of godliness. And the essence of godliness is this. Being godlike, it is Christ Jesus the Lord having the right to my life to do as He pleases with it, what He pleases, when He pleases, where He pleases, how He pleases. And blessed Lord, you control and rule all of it, spirit, soul, and body, by the Holy Spirit. And that's the essence of what we, de we desire to bring before you this morning, entitling our message, Death to Self, the Gate to Life. And of course, the whole Scripture is filled <clears throat> with this blessed truth. Death to Self, the Gate to Life, or the essence of godliness, being like God, is Christ Jesus the Lord's right to my life to do as He pleases with it, what He pleases, when He pleases, where He pleases, how He pleases. And blessed Lord, You control it, all of it. You rule it, spirit, soul, and body, by the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9. These verses of Scripture in Luke chapter 9 is one of many places where the truth that we desire to bring before you this morning is found. Our Lord Jesus said to them all who followed Him in verse 23, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. What is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? <clears throat> and the essence of what we read here is this. As the Amplified brings it out. And he said to all, If any person wills to come after me, let him deny himself. That is, 
let him disown himself, let him forget himself, lest, let, lest, let him lose sight of himself, his own interests, and give up himself to the Lord Jesus Christ, to take up Christ's cross daily and to follow after him, and to cleave steadfastly to the Lord Jesus Christ, to be conformed wholly to his example in living and, if need be, in dying for his sake. Beloved, this is the essence of godliness or the essence of Christian life. It's death to self and alive to God. Now, man by nature does not like to hear this. They love to hear that salvation's free. They love to hear that God's going to save from eternal hell. But when it comes to the responsibility of our dying to self, and our denying self, and our losing our life, for Christ's sake, that we might find eternal life. Men do not love this. Why? They love the world. And that's the reason he says in 1 John 2, 15, 16, and 17, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For he that loveth the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For this is the love of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And he that, But he that doeth the will of God and the Father abideth forever. And what is that will? The essence of godliness, the essence of being partakers with God of His divine nature, the essence of being like Him in all things, is for the Lord Jesus Christ to have the right to my life, to do as He pleases with my life, what He pleases, when He pleases, where He pleases, how He pleases. And blessed Lord, You control it, for I surrender it all completely unto Thee. The Christian life is a surrendered life. A self-denying life. For whosoever would preserve his life and save it. In other words, the man who will not deny self and take up the cross and follow Christ. The man who seeks to keep his life and save his life <clears throat> by not practicing self-denial and not yielding all things to the living God in Christ. By the power of God's Holy Spirit, the grace of God working in him, what will happen to him? That man's life will be utterly and completely destroyed in eternity, without hope and without God. In other words, it boils itself down to this. If I lose my life now, and I seek not to preserve my life now, then I will have eternal life throughout eternity. If I desire, which is the natural desire, 
to preserve my life by saving it, and that is not conforming myself by the grace of God to the Lord Jesus Christ, then I'm going to destroy that life. That life's going to be destroyed. I'm going to lose it. And this is the teaching of the entire Bible. This is the, this is the teaching of Scripture. I ask, what is the one teaching of Scripture that characterizes those whom God calls to eternal life? Let me repeat it again. It is, is it not the teaching of self-denial? Is it not the teaching of surrendering all that we are and all that we have in this life so that we can possess true life, and that is, in true riches and true pleasures in the life to come with the Lord of glory? Does not God come like He's coming this morning? And it amazes me that people do not see it. But God, in dealing with our souls, He always meets us at the point of our wills. This is where the whole matter lies. Am I, have I been made willing in the day of God's power to seek His face, that I might have the essence of godliness, and that is that Jesus Christ will have the right to do with me as He pleases, when He pleases, where He pleases, and how He pleases. And God meets us there at that point of the will. And the point of the will is this. Am I going to yield? Am I going to completely surrender? Am I going to take my hands off of my life and I'm going to give it completely over to the Lord God of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, to do with me as He pleases. And that's where He meets us. Well, when we come to a verse like this, where He tells us in, in Matthew chapter 6, He meets me at the place of my will. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. He's meeting me at the place of my will. Is this what I'm going to do? To lay up treasures upon earth? Where moth and rust is corrupt and where thieves break through and steal? Or am I going to lay up for myself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust is corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal? For he knows that where my treasure is, there will my heart be also. And if there has been an if there has been a complete surrender of my whole being to the Lord Jesus Christ to do with me as He pleases, He can he, whatever He wants to do with me. Fine. Whenever He wants to deal with my soul, fine. Where He pleases to use me or put me. Fine. What process he, he uses in all of this. What circumstance He uses in all of this. Who, what people He puts in my life that all of these things that He's planned for me will be accomplished 
that I may be made in the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the how he does it. I bow to all of this and wait upon him. I had no idea, no idea whatsoever. When, I, when the door was closed against me at the, in the ministry at New Orleans, I had no idea that God was preparing me for the next 27, 27 years. It's been over 27 years since I left there. I had no idea what He was going to bring me through it, what He was going to do with my life. But for me to hear the Word of God, Genesis 12:1, Abram, Abram, get up out of the land of your fathers and go to a land that I will show you. And he went, because I'd been crying to him, what did he want me to do? Knowing the door was closed. All I had to do was put my name there. Leroy, Leroy, get up out of the land of your fathers and go to a land that I will show you. I had to be willing to follow that voice. I had to be willing to follow that leading. In other words, he had to have complete control of the when, the what, the where, and the how of my life. And I had to yield and to surrender to all of this that he might take me, teach me, bring me through every kind of tribulation and affliction and trial and misunderstanding and heartache and sorrow that you could ever dreamed of to bring us to this hour to lead a worldwide ministry for His glory. If there had not been that ultimate, complete surrender under the Lord Jesus Christ for Him to do with my life as He pleased, when He pleased, where He pleased, how He pleased to do it, I would have never followed it. And then to come down to this age, 74, and live in constant pain as I have for the last year or more, waiting upon God. Here again is the how He's going to lead my life. What is He going to do with it? There has to be that complete surrender unto Him for Him to have His way. That might follow Him. Therefore, you see, once there's that surrender... Are you listening to me? I'm talking of eternal things this morning. I'm talking of the great and glorious truth of being identified with Christ in that ultimate and complete surrender of all things to Him. He meets us at the place of our will. If there's not that complete surrender, then we got backing up shoes. And we back up from problems, from afflictions and trials, and we be telling the Lord, Lord, I don't want to go through this. I did not know that this was the way, and I keep backing up. I did not know this was the way you were going to lead me. I did not know you were going to put this situation in my life, this individual in my life. I did not know that you were going to do this to my life or that to my life. But where there is that complete surrender unto Him, then it doesn't matter where I live, how I live, or what He puts into my life. It's that he gets the glory of a complete surrender under him 
day by day, walking with Him. You see, this is what He wants us to do. All right, he that seeks to keep his life shall you lose it. God doesn't deal with us in sentiment. God doesn't deal with us in emotions. God doesn't deal with us in tears. God deals with us in facts. He makes us face the reality of sin. That it's sin that has separated me from God. It is sin that is at the root and cause of my being doomed and damned for hell. Sin is the cause and the root of it all. God makes me face this as I seek to follow Him and to lose my life that I may take it up again. And then He meets me at the, at the point of my will where He says there in verse 24 of Matthew 6, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and <clears throat> love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve... God and mammon. He that seeks to keep his life shall lose it. So he makes us face then these facts. And he crosses our will and brings us to the place complete and total surrender unto him for all things, for time and for eternity. And I'm going to show you in a moment that that is the only happy, precious, glorious, joyous life there is to live. All other life that's outside of Christ is a life that is filled with sin and hell. It means that I say I have the right to do with my life as I please, when I please, where I please, and how I please. And God, you stay out of it. But the ultimate and complete surrender unto Him is, Lord, You rule my life. You rule it. And let me completely get out of the way. And that I will so be hidden behind the cross of Christ that men will see nothing but Christ in my life. In all that I do. There will be kindness and tenderness in my speech. There will be love in my heart for souls. There will be love in my heart to do God's will completely, utterly, all the time. And there will be the desire to follow Him completely. Because what is the life that's outside of Him? Well, the life that is outside of Him is a life that every one of us in this building have lived. It is a life that we, <clears throat> that we, well, we well know, and it's given to us in a story or parable that our Lord told His disciples. And this is what He said. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable on them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and will build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many days. 
take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then shall, shall those things be which thou hast provided. Watch it. So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Every one of us have experienced that. We have wanted and desired the things of this life. And so we have thought we were going to live forever and ever. And that we were never going to be brought into account of anything. And so we lived for self. And we did not want anything to touch the equilibrium of our life. We wanted to go along in a smooth way. But here again, where God meets us at the point of our wills. He tells us in that portion in, in, in Jeremiah 9. Listen to what he says. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. You know what he's saying there? You know what he's saying? The same thing he's saying in the New Testament. Put me first. Surrender all to me. Don't glory in any wisdom that you think you might have. Don't glory in any power that you might think you have. Don't glory in any riches that you think you might have. Because the dear man Bill Gates, last time I noticed, he was worth about $39 billion. God could take all that away from him tomorrow. But I'm praying he'll write a check for a hundred million dollars for this work. I want to ask you all a question. Do you believe God can do that? Do you believe God can do that? I believe he can. Why not? I'll tell you how I've been praying. When I was away at my daughter's place, I had a lot of time to read and meditate and pray. I was reading in Ezra chapter 2, 6 and 7. Three Gentile kings, Persian kings, King Cyrus, King Darius, and Artaxerxes. I don't know how to pronounce that one, but we got it. Three of those Persian kings, you know what they did? They gave all the money to build the temple. They gave all the money for the sacrifices that was that to be sacrificed upon the altar. They gave all the money for all the fragrant spices and everything that went into the worship of the living God. God moved those three kings with all of their possessions to provide everything that they might worship the living God with. And why couldn't God lay upon Bill Gates' heart to write a check for a hundred million dollars that this work might circle the globe and print in a message. Believe great, undertake great things for God and believe great things from God. What I'm saying is that his money is nothing. His position is nothing. 
a scripture that comes to my mind all the time in regard to him and others in his position. It is God who giveth power to make wealth. That man could have been born a mongoloid, but he was born with a mind that's so brilliant that people can't figure it out. What am I saying? I'm saying a man like that, I don't want to be a man like that. I want to be a man that understandeth and knoweth that the Lord executeth exercise loving kindness. Judgment, or just deals with us justly, deals with us righteously in the earth. And for these things I delight in, saith the Lord. That's what I want to know. So you see, it's, a, it's an ultimate and completely surrender unto Him, <clears throat> and we are brought to the end of our way. And God calls a man a fool who treasures up treasures for himself down here and is not rich toward God. How many fools we have in the house this morning? You say, well, I've never had anybody ask me that question. I'll just ask it to you. How many fools we have in the audience this morning, young and old, that you're living only for this life and for the abundance of this life and there's never been that ultimate, complete surrender, the denying of self, the losing of life, that you might gain eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ forever and forever. All right. The Word of God said there in... Matthew 16:24 let him deny himself that is let him surrender himself to God's will let him surrender all of his will his affection his body his soul to God let him let him not seek his own happiness as a supreme object in this life but to be rem- but to be willing to renounce all things, and lay down his life if required, that he might have eternal life. Well, I thought you said eternal life is a gift of God. It certainly is. It comes to us of grace. It comes to us with the power of God's Holy Spirit. Well, I'll guarantee you, there's not a soul in this audience this morning who is saved, was saved by the grace of God that did not come somewhere some place where your God crossed your will and you said in your heart, I no longer want my way or my will. I want Christ. I want His glory. I want Him in everything. It's our soul in audience this morning saved, but that someplace, somewhere, you came where you surrendered all unto the Lord. You told Him that. Because God didn't, God didn't save you and then let you know about 14 years later that you were saved. When God saves a man, He lets him know it. He deals with his heart. He makes him choose that which only God can <clears throat> give him to choose. All right, then there's another scripture. 
It's found in John chapter 12. Our Lord said, Verily, verily, I say unto you in verse 24, Except the corn of Except the corn of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. In other words, we die. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that keepeth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Brother, that is far, far cry from what is preached today of self-esteem. There ain't no self-esteem about that. I lose myself. I'm not trying to find out how to get self-esteem. I'm trying to find out how to lose it. And I might be broken at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and to walk in His way, being holy and completely taken up with Him for time and for eternity. That's what I want. And that's what we all, we all should want by the grace of God. He would have the right to my life. All right, he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Anyone who loves his life loses it. But anyone who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Whosoever has no love for and concern for, no regard for his life here on earth, but despises it, that man preserves it forever and forever. He's concerned about one thing. He's concerned about knowing Christ, taking up with Him, and for Him to rule and reign in His life forever and forever. If we would, if we would save our material life, we must lay it down. This is the most, this is contrary to the whole, to the world's conception of salvation as far as the east is from the west. But die into self for him to have the right in my life. If we save our, our material life, to save it we must lay it down. The one who loses his life in this world must necessarily lose it. Uh, the one who loves his life in this world must necessarily lose it. For it is alienated from God. But if by the grace of God a man separates himself in heart and mind and soul from that which is at, is at enmity with God and devotes himself and all of his energy to the living God in Christ, then he shall have it to eternal life. You're preaching as if, as if I'm my own Savior. No, I'm not preaching that at all. What I'm telling you is that this is the way God saves us. This is the way God brings us. This is the way God deals with our souls when He deals with us. And that we come, that we're going to lose all for Him. <clears throat> and what is it to lose the life? The terms love, as is the, word, the term lose, as is employed here, as to be understood in the sense of parting with. In other words, my life I give up. My life I surrender. And when I've done that, then it's gone. I don't want that life. I want the life of the Lord God 
of glory and Him alone. I can illustrate that from the Word. Listen. <clears throat> Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3. Philippians 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. In other words, that's the reason he could say in Galatians 2.20, after he had said that, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live with the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I've lost it all, and I count it all loss for the knowledge of Christ Jesus the Lord, and if I suffer the loss of all things and count them but dung, that I may know Christ, then I found life. I found God's life in Christ. And then I can say that I am crucified with Him. I've been crucified with Him. Nevertheless, I live. But not the eye that died, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live with the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I has died. The eye which was Saul of Tarsus died. He who became the Paul, the great apostle, he lived. It's, a, it's, a, it's really a matter of Metaphorpheus. It's the worm becoming a butterfly. There's such a change, it's the worm becoming a butterfly. It's the worm losing all, and when out out when he dies, out comes the beautiful butterfly. One illustration in life where we can see the resurrection, we, we can see the soul being born again from above, the caterpillar dies. And what comes out of the caterpillar? The worm. A beautiful butterfly. And that's what God does for us. That's surrendering all to Him for Him to have His way in our life utterly and completely. And therefore, I've been brought by the grace of God that I am indifferent. Are you listening to me? I'm indifferent to what God does with my life. However he leads. I'm not surprised at what he does. I'm not surprised at how he leads. Because my Heavenly Father can do me no wrong. And everything that he does for me is right. And he has complete charge of my life. Then that's the life to live. That's the blessed life. That's the precious life that God <coughs> gives us. And therefore, to gain... To lose that, my old life, is to find this new life 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Self-love, love of the world, the things of the world, as the primary, all-absorbing principle of my life, is gone. Now the affections are set on Christ. Now they're set on things above. Where, Christ, where my life is dead and I am hid with Christ in God. It was read in our hearing this morning. Since ye are risen with Christ, <clears throat> seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection, singular, your whole life on things above, not on things on the earth, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. Lord, kill me every day. Kill me every day. May I be able to say with the Apostle Paul, I die daily. Die to what? My way. The things of the world. I live unto Him. My life is dead. And my life is hid with Christ in God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? What a, what, what, a, what a place God has put us. From the low-down, filthy, dirty, vile, hell-deserving sinner that I was before God's grace came, He's taken that same man, given him new life, made him a beautiful butterfly by the grace of God. He hides that life away in Christ, in God. <clears throat> what does this life feed on? What does this life feed on? Well, the joy about losing our life, we might gain it in Christ, is that we gain so much. Are you ready? I have forgiveness of all my sins instead of damnation in hell. Feed on that. I have pardon and justification Therefore, I am no longer under condemnation before God. Feed on that. Christ is my wisdom for my ignorance. Christ is my righteousness for my vileness. Christ is my sanctification for my filthiness. Christ is my redemption for my enslavement. Think upon these things. Look what a man has gained by a complete surrender of all things for Christ to have the right to do as He wills with your life, with my life. Could we gain? Not only that, but for my miserableness, I have peace. Beloved, there's nothing in the world any greater than that peace which passeth all understanding that keeps our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
much peace. I sometimes wonder about it. Telling somebody yesterday, it never crosses my mind. You listen to me. It never crosses my mind but that God is going to provide for everything in his ministry. Long time ago that was settled with me that it was not mine. I did not have to worry about it. To lay it before him, yes. To trust him for the fulfillment of it, yes. But walking in peace that my God is going to supply all of my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's peace. Not only that, but the miserableness of sin, to have peace with God. That all my sins have been blotted out as a thick cloud, never to be revealed against me anymore. And that there is no nothing, no one, that can lay anything to the charge of God's elect for who is he that condemneth? It is God that justifieth. And if God has justified me, then there's not a soul living in hell or out of hell or even in heaven that can bring condemnation against me. And the next verse say in Romans 8 says, the one I just quoted, Who is he that condemneth? It is God that justifieth. The next verse reads, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is exalted to the right hand of the Father, whoever liveth to make intercession for us. No condemnation on one side. Peace with God. Nobody able to lay anything to, the, to my charge, for I am in Christ. He is my head. He is my life. He is everything. He is all and in all. That's peace. And the world can do as it pleases. Read in Friday's paper that the Pope, Pope John II, is just about ready to announce that Mary is co-redeemer with Jesus in the heavens. That be the fifth dogma concerning Mary. I don't care what Pope John III says or what he does or all of this stuff whatsoever. Mary ain't my Redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ is. He's redeemed me. He died for me. You know what Mary thinks? I just had I just had to I just really I, I just have to laugh. <clears throat> and or, or vomit one of them when I read something like that that man is going to do something and what does Mary say? Listen to what she said. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Immaculate conception. Assumption of the heaven like our Lord. Holy Redeemer. It's laughable. She was a sinner. So you don't, have to, you don't have to worry about what the world does or what the world says. 
You don't have to worry what the stock market's going to do tomorrow. It's been jumping all over the map the last couple of weeks. The whole bottom can drop out of it. God is on the throne. The child of God walks in that peace. It passeth all understanding. You should be walking as a child of God. You should be walking in that peace. I don't care how rough life may be. I don't care how much you're afflicted. I don't care anything about your age or anything under the sun. You should be walking in that peace that passes all understanding that keeps your heart and mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. And think upon that. That peace that comes by the ultimate complete surrender of all that I am for Him to have complete control of my life. He will do with it where he pleases, how he pleases, when he pleases, forever and forever. That's grace. That's the life. Then, <clears throat> you want something else to praise God for? Just when I was talking about the blindness. God has taken away the blindness of the soul that is surrendered to him. And what's he giving? He's given him sight. You know the man who is the smartest man in all the world is the man who knows he's stupid. And he doesn't know anything except what God has taught him. And if God has taught him of himself, sin, and he's taught him of himself, of his redemption, of his grace, and of his mercy, and he's given him an insight into his precious word, where he can go there and read and get all of these precious things to meditate upon what God has done for him in Christ. He's the most blessed man in all the world. Man, I'm telling you, he's not, he's not poverty-stricken. He's the richest man in all the world. He is. I told you that story, didn't I? Sure I have, many a time. First went to Litchfield and we started the bookstore on Main Street. <clears throat> I, got, I got invited out to the Kiwanis Club to give a, give up <clears throat> to tell what uh, what the bookstore was going to do, you know. And when I got finished, I looked at him and I said, "You know something?" I said, "But you don't know it, but you're looking at the richest man in all the world." I said, I had to give you my personal testimony that you're looking at the richest man in the world. I said, I probably do not have enough money in my pocket to buy you a cup of coffee. But I'm the richest man in all the world because I have the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer. And that's the truth. We are rich. <clears throat> we are rich. And we, and, and, and for it, our poverty, he gives us those unsearchable riches day by day that we can rejoice in him. And then, from being a child of the devil, becoming a child of God. Instead of being under his curse, we now lay under his complete blessing day by day. Instead of having a stony heart, God has given us a new heart. Instead of having spiritual hatred, 
and blasphemy. Now we have a new spirit that longs after God and searches after God. Instead of having a nature of rebellion, God has given us a, a new nature in Christ. Instead of being bound for hell, praise God, we're now bound for heaven. All these things we got to think of and me, all these great riches that God has given us. We've lost it all, but look what we've gained. Look what we have. We have that eternal life with God and His people forever and forever. And beloved, we can come now to a throne of grace instead of a throne of judgment and find peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that just blessed? Do all of this because the power of God's Spirit has dealt with our soul and He's made us willing in the day of His power to seek His face. The Holy Spirit has come and He's crossed our will. The greatest thing in all the world is when God begins to interfere in an individual's life. Began to interfere with them. Began to deal with their heart. He won't let them rest. He won't let the status quo be as it will. And God begins to bring the soul down at the feet of the Lord. And He begins to deal with His heart. And He opens His heart to let Him see what He is. And the Spirit begins to give Him that faith to lay hold of Christ. And that gift of repentance to turn to God from his sins and desire to be holy. All of this is the work of God's grace as this surrender comes about by the grace of God. Not by my works, by the grace of God. As one scripture in particular, I wanted to just at least read if I didn't get to comment on it. It's in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And when he had called the disciples unto him with his people unto him with his disciples, he said, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save. Now that's a new that's a new one. Mark has it. Only Mark has that in there. Lose his life for my sake and the gospel. You know what that means? That means that when God saves us by his grace, we have lost our life and we have come in contact with the living God in Christ and we have found our all and all in him. Then the gospel has become ours to witness. James puts it right. Without works, faith is dead. Now, we're not saved by works, but our works certainly will follow us to show our faith. And what is the, what is, what will follow us to show? God has called us to be witnesses for Him. As He told the first disciples there in Acts 1-8, tarry here in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, that you might be witnesses of Me. First in, first in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. I know that God puts all of us in a different place. But we're all to be witnesses as wherever we are to witness the gospel 
of what God has done and what He has done. Yesterday I was meditating upon this yesterday morning. I was going to put all this together today. My dear friend Tom Schutz from L.A. rang. We got to talking. And I told him the subject that God laid on my heart to preach on this morning. And he says, have you ever looked at, in connection with that, have you ever looked at Mark 8, verse 35? He said, that's the only place where it says, for my sake and the Gospels. He said, you know what that means? He says, we're to be witnesses. We're to be witnesses of His, of Him. He didn't put us, He didn't save us just to leave us off in a corner someplace. He has saved us to be a lighthouse and a witness for Him every day. Bear with me just a little longer, will you? Will you? Bear with me just a little longer. Our Lord Jesus Christ was the example for us. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And why did he do that? That he might bring many sons into glory. That all he did for his people would be given to them. We would follow in his footsteps. He's our example to follow. He gave all. He surrendered all. He let go the throne of glory, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, laid aside every outward insignia of the Godhead and, and, and of, uh, of His glory and His power, except what He worked in His miracles by the power of the Spirit in Him. And He wants us to do the same thing. That's His example. Listen, listen what He did. Christ on the cross and His sufferings was all anguish that I might be all joy. He was all anguish that I might be all joy. He was cut off among the land of the living that I might be brought in as a son of God. He was trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend into his family. He surrendered to hell's worst and what the devil and all of his imps could do for him that I might obtain heaven. He was stripped that I might be clothed. He was wounded that I might be healed. He was a thirst that I might drink of the water of everlasting life. He did that. Shall, I, shall not I surrender all things to himself? I got to meditate upon that this, the, the other week. At cry from the cross, I thirst. He did that, that I might drink. I might drink from the well of everlasting water. 
He was tormented in hell for my sake, that I might be comforted. He entered the realm of darkness, that I might have eternal light and life in him forever. My Savior wept that all the tears <clears throat> might be wiped from my eyes. He groaned that I may have an endless song to sing of him throughout eternity. He endured all pain that I might have unfading health throughout eternity. He bore a crown of thorns that I might have a glorious diadem that flowed down at his feet. He bowed his head in death that I might, mine might be lifted up in glory because of the shedding of his precious blood. He closed his eyes in death when he cried, it is finished, that I might be able to gaze on unclouded brightness forever and forever as we follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. My beloved, if he did all of that and he did, then shall not I surrender all to him? Shall I not lose my life that I may gain it in him? Shall I not, shall I not say, come on, oh Lord Jesus, come on, take every key to every room of my heart, make it all thine, I hold back nothing. You have it all. I want nothing. We might surrender unto Him forever and forever. No wonder it was said of the characters of the Bible, if you would ask them, <clears throat> they had a ready answer to give. Brother Abraham... What do you think of this Christ? Well, I saw his day by faith and I was glad. Well, Brother Moses, what do you think about this life? Oh, he said, I counted just to be with the people of God in their afflictions, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. The approach of Christ far greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Brother Job, what have you got to say? And Brother Job would answer, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and one day shall stand upon this earth, and these eyes shall see Him and not another. I wait for His coming. I rejoice in Him. And the psalmist said, <coughs> There is none in, none in heaven but thee, and none that I desire on earth beside thee. Now I believe if you've asked Brother Isaiah what he thought about him, what do I think about him? I've counted all things lost for him because his name is wonderful. Counselor, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, he's all in all. I follow him all the days of my life. Well, Brother Paul, what do you think? Well, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I can say from my heart, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
No, I do not regret it. And I believe he could go back to that place where his head was cut off with the guillotine. And five minutes before he died, if you'd ask him, Brother Paul, what do you think now? <laughs> what do I think? This one who is my life, my help, my hope, my all in all. I count all things lost for him. Bring me to live as Christ to die will be gain. I'm waiting for the guillotine blade to come down. Ask Mary about him. And she would say, He's my Rabboni, he's my master. <clears throat> Mary Magdalene there in John twenty. She found him in the garden. Ask Simeon in Luke two. What do you think, Simeon? He said, I have seen the salvation of the Lord. Now let my soul depart in peace. Ask John Baptist what he thought about him. He said, what I think about him, he must increase and I must decrease. And if you want to, if you want to know what, if you want to know what the saints in heaven think about him, let me read you this. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou hast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the four beasts and the elders, and the number of them were ten thousand times ten thousand thousands of thousands. And what were they saying? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I say and blessing and honor and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and forever. That's the believers. That's the saints' recommendation to us of the glory of Christ. Then do not we desire to close in with Him this morning? Renew our vows with Him? Yes, Lord, I'll follow You whithersoever Thou goest. You're mine. I'm yours. You've bought me with the price of your own precious blood. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up to everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. That's our Lord. He's coming. This last thought, following most of these verses, the Lord Jesus said that he that denieth me in this life, I will deny him before my Father which is in heaven. But he who, de he who surrenders all to him in this life and loses his life for my sake, he shall find it and he shall follow me as the Lamb forever and forever. You know something? 
I think I could say like Simeon this morning, Lord, I've seen the salvation of the Lord. <laughs> Let thy servant depart and be. If I went home, and I'll be there in a few minutes, and I sit down, and my wife comes over and tells me dinner's ready and I don't move. And she shakes me and I don't move. He's gone. Where'd he go? He went to be with the Lord who bought him with the price of his own precious blood. Do you regret it? You know, you, this is the last time I may preach. And I'm, y'all bear with me. We, I'm, I'm going to let you go in just a second. I know it's hot and everything about that. But I got wound up this morning. I can't quit. I do not regret not one regret whatsoever of having surrendered all to Jesus Christ. He's my all. I do not regret anything He's done in my life. How He's done it, when He's done it, where He's done it, whatever. I do not regret one thing in the world. I belong to Him. If He wants to keep me here for another 20 years, that's all right with me. He wants to take me home, as I said, when I go home and lay down in the easy chair waiting for dinner. He wants to take me home then, that's all right too. For to be with Christ will be for better. You listened. I pray that you'll take it, that God will take his home to my heart, your hearts this morning. But I cannot leave you without this word. You're going to have to make a decision about this message. You know that? A decision don't save you, but you're going to make a decision. It's God who worketh in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. You're not going to go out of this place neutral this morning. You're either going to be broken at the feet of Christ for Him to say, for you to tell Him, Lord, here I am, take me and do with me as you please. Are you going to walk out here more determined that you're going to have your way and to have your will? Which is going to be? You'll not walk out of this place neutral this morning. And every moment you stay away from Him is your determination to have the right to your life. To come to Him is for Him to have the right to your life. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D, M-O-N-T-O-N, 
Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.